In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Boricua. But Boricua is more than a name for a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure no matter where it may lead, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. And you can experience all that warm, welcoming, passionate culture set in a tropical island paradise without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Learn more about how you can live Barigua at discoverpuertorico.com. In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Barigua. But Barigua is more than just a word to identify a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. In Puerto Rico, you can experience a tropical paradise with world-class beaches. You can immerse yourself in the rich 500-year history of Old San Juan, where there are stunning forts, classic town plazas, and iconic monuments. You can indulge in a foodie paradise with renowned restaurants, seaside kiosks, and an innovative cocktail scene. And you can take in an abundance of natural wonders like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. national forest system, all without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more about the warm culture of Puerto Rico and how you can live Boricua at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to Travel Tales, a podcast from Afar Media. I'm your host, Senior Editor Aislinn Green, and for the past six years, I've had the pleasure of working with some of the most creative and interesting people in the world. Comedians, philosophers, novelists, they've all shared their stories with Afar's readers about getting out into the world and just reveling in it. And now, each week on Travel Tales, we'll hear from some of our favorite contributors about a trip that changed their life. In this episode, we'll hear from Charmaine Craig. Charmaine lives in LA. She's an author, most recently of Miss Burma, an award-winning novel based on the lives of her mother and grandparents who are from Burma. She's also a huge fan of the Portuguese poet Fernando Pessoa, but I swear we didn't know that when we sent Charmaine to Portugal as part of a Far Spin the Globe series. And quick reminder, that's where we spin an actual globe, pick a spot, and send a writer with 24 hours notice. And to be honest, we weren't even sure if she'd be able to go. Two months before she left, her house burnt to the ground. But, as we'll soon hear, she wanted to take this trip. Her story is proof that, sometimes, life provides exactly the poetry we need. Eighteen months ago, I returned home one afternoon to find that my house had been scorched all the way to the roof line, with the second floor windows blown out and smoke billowing from the attic as firemen blasted it with water. What had happened was that about an hour previously, the house next door to mine, which was temporarily uninhabited, had burst into flames likely due to arson, and the fire had jumped to my property. I should mention that the houses, mine and the one next door, were actually twins, built in 1904 by the same woman, one for her and one for her marrying daughter. They weren't fancy, but they were Victorian craftsmen in style with high coped ceilings and lovely woodwork, 
the kind of craftsmanship and materials we just don't see in new structures. And as I stood there, taking in the damage, I had the fleeting thought that these structures had survived unscathed for over a century. That what was really being lost was history. And that that loss had happened under my watch. And then there was the fact that my family had just come through a series of relocations, having moved twice in that year alone. That very morning, the morning of the fire, I'd finally felt settled enough to start my next novel in earnest. Normally I write at a desk, but for some reason that morning I felt called to lie with my computer on my bed. And I remember taking a moment to observe the quality of the light filtering into the room and the way the trees were moving outside my window. I was filled with a sense of having arrived home. And I remember being palpably grateful. Well, two months and two relocations after the fire, I learned from afar that I was being sent to Lisbon as part of their Spin the Globe series. That's the one where they don't tell you where you're headed until about 24 hours before you take off. Needless to say, I was still very much spinning from the fire, but as I hurtled away from my kids, I felt almost relieved to be leaving the disarray of our so-called home life, something that had become a near-constant state of upheaval and nomadism for a more discreet period of aimless wandering, a period when all I had to keep track of was myself. Out of what I rationalized was a sense of adventurousness, but what was probably a mixture of exhaustion and stoicism, I decided not to consult any kind of travel resource in preparation for the trip. I guess you could say I was throwing in my lot with impermanence. And after dumping my bags at the bed and breakfast a friend had recommended, I found myself pathetically following swells of tourists down cobblestone streets in one of Lisbon's historic districts. We squeezed through a series of stunning and strikingly similar squares before I found myself on a jammed commercial road where something caught my eye a placard advertising the world's oldest operating bookshop, whose cafe was called the Sala Fernando Pessoa. For most of my writing life, I've been consoled and inspired by the work of Pessoa, a Portuguese writer who called Lisbon his home and who died in the 1930s. You might not have heard of him, and it could be argued that he might not have wanted you to. Pessoa didn't actually write as himself for the most part, but through the vehicle of alter egos, what he called heteronyms. It's tempting to refer to them as pseudonyms, but they were so much more than that. They were entire beings whom Pessoa created and attributed most of his work to, and who readers of the day thought were real. These were beings with different histories, worldviews, styles. They wrote the poems, and some of them became the famous writers. A recurring idea in Pessoa's work is that he didn't exist. You could say he was the master poet of impermanence. And yet, there's tremendous feeling in his work feeling for Lisbon, for life, and especially for others. I had brought only one book with me on the trip, and it was Pessoa's Book of Disquiet, 
something Pessoa didn't even try to get published and that was discovered after his death among tens of thousands of pages of unpublished writing. Talk about embracing impermanence. And one of the narrators of this book is so sensitive to the people passing by on the street below that he can't help but imagine his way into their consciousnesses. He writes, In my fourth floor flat, looking out over the infinite. There's a deeply spiritual, if melancholy, quality to the work that speaks to me. And seeing Pessoa's name on the placard by the oldest bookshop just an hour or so after my arrival felt like a sign, something personal that spoke to me directly over the din of tourism and consumerism. And something similar happened to me the next morning when squeezing through the crowded cloisters of the Geronimos Monastery, I stumbled onto a modern pile of blocks that I soon realized was Pessoa's tomb. I hadn't known where he'd come to be buried, so it seemed uncanny that less than 20 hours in the city I'd run into this. If I hadn't predetermined my map of Lisbon, it seemed to be determining itself for me. That evening, I reached out by email to a local Pessoa scholar, an Italian and Lisbon transplant named Antonio Cardiello. He graciously offered to meet me the following afternoon near the empty square where Pessoa was born in an apartment above what's now a Godiva shop. And soon we were chatting and making our way on foot through the city. And we landed on the same commercial street I'd found myself on after arriving, the one with the oldest operating bookshop. Thirty years ago, he said, the street had been mostly derelict, abandoned. Then in 1988, a terrible fire took it out. Everything was destroyed. But that episode, he said, was merely an echo of a much more devastating one that had happened in the 18th century when a violent earthquake, subsequent tidal wave, and weeks of fire had razed the city before the Marquis de Pombal had determined to completely recreate it. Something that explained both the grandeur and striking similarity of its squares. And passing through those squares with Cardiello now, I felt as though I were being hit over the head with the truism that history, of course, is anything but static. If with my own little house fire, history had in part been lost, I could play a part in the house's restoration and its evolution. On my last day in Lisbon, I visited a leafy neighborhood beyond the tourist districts where, amid quiet storefronts and apartment buildings, I found the address where Pessoa lived for the last 15 years of his life, in a building that's now a museum dedicated to his work and memory. The whole place has changed since his time, and Pessoa's bedroom is now just a recreation. But I still felt something as I stood looking over his bed, or the recreation of that bed I don't know. What mattered to me standing there was that he existed, in spite of his sense that he didn't. What mattered to me was that he slept alone on a narrow twin bed in an actual room, where he left a trunk filled with his tens of thousands of unpublished pages. Why did he leave so much unpublished? What if those pages had been burned? lost to history before ever having been found. What do you think he would say if he knew that half of them remain unpublished today? Would he say, 
impermanence was the point. Would he say, loss is essential to hope and often the starting point of audacious feats of beauty? That was Charmaine Craig. Charmaine is currently working on her next novel, and two years after the fire that destroyed her home, she and her family were finally able to move back in. And then the quarantine hit Los Angeles. It's felt like the inverse of what happened before, she told us. Time out of the house has given away to a period of intense living in it. She says it's made her aware of the impermanence of even this moment. And she's using that knowledge to, quote, make the most of this time with my growing teenage girls. Ready for more travel stories? Visit us online at afar.com slash travel tales. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's adventure, we hope you'll come back next week for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And please be sure to rate and review us. It helps other travelers find the show. This has been Travel Tales, a production of Afar Media and Boom Integrated. Our podcast was produced by Aislinn Green, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. Post-production was by John Marshall Media staff Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Music composition by Alan Kresha. And a special thanks to Laura Redmond, Sarah Storm, and Irene Wang. I'm Aislinn Green, your zoomed-out, under-traveled host. I can't wait to hit the road again. Until we all freely can, remember that travel begins the moment we walk out our front door. Everyone has a travel tale. What's yours? <laughs>